listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Uh, This is something that has been burning in my heart. I was yesterday, I was thinking about this a lot because I posted a piece of content um, on uh, my short form platforms like Reels, TikTok, YouTube Shorts, and um, having a conversation with a couple of people regarding soul winning, regarding people coming to Christ. And um, I think this is something that needs to be understood by every believer regarding salvation. But uh, as we know, that souls are God's number one priority, then we should be going after souls with everything we have. And so every Christian is called to be a soul winner, obviously. But many people um, never really get to that place in their life, in their Christian life. They never become a dynamic soul winner. And uh, in this broadcast today, I want to talk about what it takes uh, to become a much better soul winner in your own personal life. I'm going to give you practical steps uh, that will help you personally become a more effective and dynamic soul winner before Jesus comes. Um, keep it in mind, I mean, soul winning, uh, the gospel, it's a limited time offer. It's not going to be available forever. Jesus is coming soon. And when Jesus comes, that period of time will be lost. And um, that's why I want to start today Uh, with the verse of scripture that we quote relatively often from the gospel of John uh, chapter nine and verse four, where the Bible says, um, Jesus said this to his disciples, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is yet day for the night is coming where no man can work. Get that in your spirit because that is so important. In fact, that'd be a great thing to put in the comments as we start the broadcast today. Night is coming. Night is coming. I would put that in the comments. Put it in your notes. You need to highlight it. If you have that verse open in your Bible right now, John 9, 4, that should be highlighted. That should be underlined. I mean, put it, write it in the margin. Night is coming. Let that urgency get into your spirit that the gospel is a limited time offer. Night is coming. Where no, the night is coming where no man can work. Jesus said no man can work. And so we don't want to miss the opportunity that we have to see souls come into the kingdom before it's too late. And that's why we are going after souls with everything we have. And so I'm not just winning souls. I want to sow personally into ministries that are winning souls. I want to uh, do everything I can to support the work of Christ on the earth. And so even though I am a preacher, even though I am an evangelist, my wife and I, we sow largely, very largely into other ministries that are winning souls and seeing people come to Christ. Um, We don't just put it all back into our ministry. We don't do that. We find other ministries that are doing dynamic work and we connect our finances with their ministry. We connect our ministry finances with their ministry. We're sowers because we're not just going to do the work. We're going to sow into the work as well. And so we know that there is uh, a limited time. It's running out. We know 
that there should be an urgency in the heart of every believer. And so John 9, 4 is a great place to start to build that kind of urgency in your heart that before Jesus comes, I don't know what kind of a window we have right now. I don't know. I mean, I know that if you look around the world at what's going on, you could very plainly see that we're coming to the end. Time is running out. So uh, I don't know what kind of time we do have. In fact, Jesus said that it's only for the father to know these things. So whatever time we do have, we want to spend it wisely. We want to spend it wisely. Um, in fact, that brings my spirit over to uh, the book of Ephesians. And um, when you look <clears throat> at the book of Ephesians, um, the 15th chap uh, verse of the fifth chapter should ring in your spirit when you talk about urgency and making the most of your time and understanding that you've got to have that urgency in your spirit. Um, Paul commands the church in Ephesus, get this now, Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. I'm going to read you a, a, a grouping of verses here, uh, all the way down to, um, well, I'll read verses 15 and, uh, all the way through verse 17. You ready? It says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So let me stop there and say that you can live your whole life walking in a way that is unwise, according to scripture. And he's not talking to sinners. They're all unwise. They're all not living for Christ. So <clears throat> he's not talking about sinners walking in an unwise way. He's talking to Christians here. He said, don't live your Christian life and walk in a way that is unwise, but as those who are wise. Look, making, verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And we know what is his number one will. He's willing that none should perish. He is willing that none should perish. So understand what the will of the Lord is. He is willing that none should perish. So what would happen if we walk as those that are unwise? If we walk as those that are unwise, we are neglecting souls. We're ignoring souls. But if we walk as those that are wise, the Bible says in Proverbs, he or she that wins souls is wise. He that wins souls is wise. So how can we live as those that are wise, walk as those that are wise, knowing what the will of the Lord is, knowing that his will is that none should perish and winning souls. That is how you walk as one who is wise. So when we go back, we see that the whole church, all of the Christians in the body of Christ have this same command right? In Mark chapter 16, uh, the Bible says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. And whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They'll cast out demons They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents with their hands. They'll drink any deadly poison. It will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so we have a command. We call this the great 
commission. This is the great commission. I love what Dr. Rodney Howard Brown says. This is not called the great suggestion. (laughs) It's not the great suggestion. It's the great commission. And every believer is called to take part in the great commission. This is not just for the apostles. This is for every believer. And as I was, um, uh, that was Mark chapter 16 verses 15 through 18, Karen. So, or excuse me, Ann. And um, yes, that's what we're doing today, Karen. We're talking about how to become a more essential, or excuse me, a more effective soul winner, giving essential steps to evangelism for every believer. So we understand, number one, God's desire is souls. He wants us to be wise in walking, knowing his will, that none should perish. He that wins souls is wise. But we've been commanded to win souls. We've been commanded, not just, now, now get this, this is a very important point. We've not just been commanded to make converts, but we've been commanded to make disciples of all nations. That's a big difference. It's a big difference. It's one thing to birth a child. It's another thing to raise a child. It's one thing to birth a child. It's another thing to raise a child. You see, what do you mean by that? Uh, Conversion is the birth. It's new birth. But discipleship is raising that child. Amen. And obviously, if you look at the statistics today of how children are turning out, you can see that a lack of uh, dual parent homes raising the children properly, it's having a extremely negative effect on our society. You've seen the statistics. Those who do not have parents that raise them properly are far more likely to end up in jail, far more likely to end up uh, uh, in problems, drugs and crime and all, all these different things. Why? Because God created the family to raise, not just birth children, raise children. The same is true in the family of God. We're not just to birth Christians. New birth is not the end. It's just the beginning. In fact, if you've ever been in any of my um, revival services as people are getting saved, I'll say that when they get saved at the altar. I'll say, hey, this is not the begin, uh, the, the end, this is just the beginning. I say that on TV when I'm giving uh, uh, altar calls for people that are watching around the world. After we pray the prayer of salvation, I'll say, hey, good news is this, this is not the end, it's just the beginning. And then I'll lead them into the discipleship steps. Why? Because the key is to make disciples of all nations. Make disciples of all nations. By the way, if you're just getting on, this needs to be shared. If you haven't shared this, share it. It is vital that Christians get these steps in their spirit. So how do we become? We know the command, right? The command is win souls. We know the urgency. Jesus is coming soon. And we have to do the work of Christ before night comes when no man can work. So we know the urgency is there. We know the command is there. So what can we do to be better at winning souls before it's too late? That's what this broadcast is about today. That's the steps I want to give you today. So let's talk about these. Number one, the first thing that you have to have is something we've already mentioned briefly. And the first thing is you have to have urgency. Put it in the comments. Number one, urgency. You won't do anything without urgency. You won't. There's stuff I've been putting off because it didn't seem urgent to me. It's in my, even in my Google tasks to do, it's on my checklist and I've not completed it. And my wife keeps asking me, have you done that thing? yet?" I was like, yeah, I haven't done it yet. 
And so I, re- I reset it again to today with a reminder for today. I haven't done it because I haven't felt any urgency on it. I should. So I need to attach urgency to it. But when you don't feel any urgency on something, you won't go do it. You know, and that, you know, that's how I feel even when, when setting an alarm to wake up. You know, when I was younger, I had a very, now I, I don't sleep the same now as I did before. I can wake up a lot easier now than when I was younger. But when I was younger, man, I, I, I would sleep through anything. I'd sleep through anything. Some of you can identify, <laughs> identify with me today. I, I literally, I'd sleep through anything. I would, I would literally have to put an alarm on that was so loud and so harsh that it would shock me out of sleep and wake me up. That, what did that do? It created a sense of urgency to wake up. I couldn't put on soft music. You know, they have like the radio softly come on to, I can do that now. I couldn't do that then. <laughs> like I had to have, it had to be the hardcore, like, eh, 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 eh. I mean, I had to have that to wake me up. And even then my daughter, Madeline, who is getting ready to step into her teenage years and she's sleeping like a teenager. Like, I mean, it's, it's insane to watch, but she puts that kind of an alarm on still now. She uses the eh, eh, eh kind of an alarm. And I'm telling you, she sleeps right through it and it's by her head. And I'll be downstairs in our house and it'd be like in the morning, you know, she's, uh, she, she's trying to, you know, she set that alarm to wake up. I'm downstairs and I'm, I'm listening and her mom and I can hear it from downstairs. Eh, eh, it's like super loud. She's in bed sleeping through the whole thing, sleeping through the whole thing. I used to have be such a, a heavy uh, sleeper that I'd had to have something to shake me with urgency out of sleep. That's the same in the body of Christ is that there is a fleshly tendency to just close yourself in and coast through life without doing what God has commanded you to do. That means we have to do something to alarm ourselves. We have to do something to alarm ourselves, to keep ourselves in a place of urgency about the lost. So the question is this, how do you build urgency? And number two, which is this compassion. So number two, put it in the comments. Second thing you have to have, it's not just urgency. You have to have a love for people. You have to have a compassion for people. If you don't have that, then who, why would you even care that they're on their way to hell? I mean, why would you even care that they're lost and dying? If you don't have compassion, if you don't have a love for people, you're not going to do anything. You're not going to make any changes. You're not going to take any steps. So you can't just have urgency. You've got to have compassion. Both are necessary. Both are vitally necessary. Love, compassion, and urgency, they work together because let me show you how they work together. I could have a deep love for people, but if I don't have an urgency to see them come to Jesus, I could say, you know what? I love people, but I'm going to get to this sometime next year. You know, I'm going to talk to my family members sometime within the next five years. Like people that don't have an urgency, they may love others, but if you don't have the urgency, there's no motion to act. There's no motion to act. But on the other side, you could have urgency, but if you don't love people, you could allow your heart to get jaded. You say, ah, people are stupid. They deserve the, you know, they deserve what they go through. They make a bunch of dumb decisions. Don't even consult God. They're in a mess. It's their own fault. 
You know, people get like that and they get jaded and then they stop caring and loving people. And it wouldn't matter if you knew Jesus is coming soon. Because if you don't have a compassion for souls, if you don't have a love for people, then whether or not you understand Jesus is coming doesn't even matter. Because you're sitting there thinking, well, yeah, I know he's coming, but these people, they've heard the gospel. They didn't respond. You know, they got, you know, and and that's how people become. You need both. You need urgency and you need compassion. You have to have it. Urgency and compassion. See, you say, well, how in the world do you cultivate those two things in your life? How do you cultivate those two qualities, which are soul winning qualities? How do you cultivate them in your life as a believer? And you know what the answer is? The answer is prayer, prayer, being in the presence of God in prayer. Prayer will cultivate love for people because understand what's happening. I'm coming into God's presence and I'm acquiring or aligning myself with his heart, with his desires, right? Uh, When God gives us those desires, he gives us his desires. And so when I pray, I'll tell you this, people that are not praying people will not be soul winning people. I'm going to just say that again. I know that's hard to hear for people for some reason. Praying people are soul winning people, but people that refuse to pray are people that will not win souls. They don't care. And the reason is if you don't pray, you can keep yourself out. So so let me explain it to you the way Jesus explained it. He told his disciples, in fact, if you want to turn there with me, let's go to Matthew 26 and I'll show you how Jesus drove this home to his disciples. So number three, the way that you cultivate one and two is being a person of prayer. Pray, pray. That's number three. So Jesus is um, getting ready to go to the cross, but he's in the garden of Gethsemane and um, he's praying. But what's happening with his disciples while he's praying? They're all falling asleep, right? They're all falling asleep. And he has to come back and continually wake them up. And then the final time, uh, Matthew 26, and let's go to verse 40, Matthew 26, 40, uh, the Bible says, and he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? Now he's talking about watching and praying. So he said, could you not watch with me for one hour? You know what that shows me? Jesus did not think that one hour was a long time to pray. Jesus did not think that an hour was a long time to pray. He said, could you not watch with me for one hour? Then look at this, verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. So, so see this with me. Jesus is saying here that prayer is the key to not allowing the flesh to win in your life. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation because the spirit is willing, willing to do what? To please God. The spirit is willing to please God, but what? The flesh is weak. So what Jesus is saying here, it's his prescription 
for not allowing the flesh to win. Pray, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. When you pray, I encourage believers, spend at least an hour a day in prayer. That's what they did in the early church. That's what they did in the early church. They were up to, going up to the temple, Acts chapter 3, at the hour of prayer. Being about the ninth hour, that was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So they had an hour of prayer each day. When you pray, according to Jesus, it submits the flesh to the spirit. And it makes sure that you don't fall into temptations. I like Bishop Oedepo says it this way. If you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. Put, put that in the comments. That'll help people. If you're not prayerful, you'll be sinful. If I'm not prayerful, I'll be sinful. See, prayer is the element that keeps us from falling into temptation. And really, there's only two elements that keep us from sin. Just two. Prayer is one. The other is the word of God. David said in Psalm 119, he said, uh, or excuse me, the psalmist said in Psalm 119, he said, um, I've hidden your word in my heart that what? I might not sin against God. You see that? I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against God. So when you hide the word in your heart, that is one step. And then when you pray, that's another step. Because remember this, everything that God, now this is so vital, so please hear me on this. I'm coming in close just to tell you this. Um, everything that God wants you to do, your flesh does not want to do it. Hear that today. Everything God wants you to do, everything you're commanded to do in the Bible, your flesh does not want to do. Just understand that right from the beginning. Everything God wants you to do, your flesh fights against it. Did you know that? There's an actual fight. There's an actual fight going on, on the inside of you. That's why your prayer life is so vital. Because it allows you to win the war against your natural carnal flesh. Let me read to you Galatians chapter 5. And by the way, uh, for those of you that are in Bible study made simple. We have about 300 students right now in Bible study made simple every week. A new video came out yesterday. We're going on a deep dive of the book of Galatians. If you would like to be a part of uh, Bible study made simple, when we open it again in the fall, go to bible.miracleword.com and sign up to uh, be on the waiting list. Cause I'm we have over a hundred people waiting to get in. And uh, we'd like to see you there in October when we open it back up. We're going through Galatians right now. And in Galatians chapter five, let me read to you verse uh, 17, because this lets you see and know that there's a fight going on. There's a fight going on. Galatians 5, 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The question is, why do you want to do them? The reason you want to do the things of the spirit is because you're a Christian and your spirit man's been renewed and you're a new cre creation in Christ Jesus. Your spirit does want to do these things, but your flesh is fighting against these things. 
There's a fight going on in your flesh. So how do you win the war against that fleshly fight that's going on? You pray and you fill yourself with the word of God. Pray and fill yourself with the word of God. So including soul winning, your flesh doesn't want to win souls. Your flesh doesn't want to tell people about Jesus. In fact, just by a showing of, of hands in the comments, hey, Faith, um, how many of you, you've gone to win souls before and, and you've gone, you're getting ready to tell people about Jesus and you feel that, that pushback from your flesh, like, no, 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 that's, or they're going to think you're stupid or you just feel that, that either a nervousness or you feel like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to say anything. Put a hand up because that's not your spirit doing that. That's not your spirit, man. not your spirit, man. That is your flesh that does not want to do what you're called to do. Your flesh fights against the spirit. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so, amen. Do it, Alexandra. Praise God. She said, I was just praying and the Lord laid it on her heart to do a revival uh, in East Texas. And uh, now we're talking about soul winning. It's con- she says, confirmation for me. Good. Do it. God will use it. God will use it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so I want to tell you something. It's so vital that you pray because your flesh has to be put under do you know the apostle Paul, you think about somebody that would have been, you think would not have yielded to his flesh uh, in the new Testament. You say, well, of course the apostle Paul, you know, one of the most powerful men in the, all of the Bible, uh, probably didn't have any problems with this. No, even the apostle Paul said he dealt with it. Even the apostle Paul dealt with it. So what did he say in first Corinthians nine and verse 27? Listen to what he said. I discipline my body and keep it under control. Hallelujah. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul said, if I don't keep my body under, if I don't make it do what it should and make it submit to the word and submit to the spirit of God, I myself will become disqualified. So even the apostle Paul dealt with his flesh nature and understood I can't just do everything I want to do. I have to submit myself to the word of God and the spirit of God. I must submit myself to the word of God and the spirit of God if I'm going to please the Lord and not be disqualified. So soul winning is something that your flesh doesn't want to do. I mean, I'm looking at all the hands that went up in the comments. I've felt that way. I've felt that way. I've felt that way. And, and I'm telling you, everyone does. You know why? Because your flesh doesn't want to win souls and do what the Bible says to do. There's always that natural thought process. Well, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm nuts. They're going to think I'm a religious fanatic. They're going to think, I'll be embarrassed to say it. And that's why it's your flesh fighting against what God wants in your life. So number three, prayer. If you're going to be an effective soul winner, you have to have urgency, you have to have compassion, and you have to have prayer in your life. Have to have prayer in your life. Well, what else do you have to have in order to be an effective soul winner? Number four, you've got to have boldness. You've got to have boldness. There's no effective soul winner that's timid. 
There's no effective soul winner who is timid. No such thing. Those two things don't even go together. You can't be an effective soul winner and be timid. So number four, boldness is necessary to be an effective soul winner. You have to stop caring what people think. You have to stop caring. You know, how, how, how am I going to be viewed? Who cares how you're viewed? Who cares? You know, one of the things that I, I constantly keep in front of my mind, because that, that is a real thought process that people battle. Well, what will they think of me? You know, what will they think of me at work? What will they think of me? And, and that's constantly going on. And let me tell you something that'll help you stay free from that is, is this thought. Since when did the living care about the opinions of the dead? Since when did the living care about the opinions of the dead? I don't care about the opinions of dead people. I don't care. I've never, I use this uh, illustration because it makes people laugh, but can you imagine going out and buying like a brand new outfit, a, a whole outfit for yourself that you think you really get, look good in, but you want to get some feedback. And so you walk out into the middle of a graveyard and spin around and say, how do you guys think this looks? Do you think this makes me look fat? Like, let me tell you something. They have no opinion. You know why? They're dead. Why would you care about the opinions of dead people? And every sinner in this world, according to scripture, is dead in their trespasses and in their sins. Every sinner, every sinner in this world is dead in their trespasses and in their sins. They're not alive in Christ like you are. So why would any of us who are alive in Christ, who are on our way to heaven, why would we ever care about what someone who is dead in trespasses and in sins thinks about our dedication and our life in Christ. I don't care. They could mock me. They could mock me. They could, you know, they, they could, they could, uh, you know, stand. It doesn't matter. I don't care that he's a, he's a nut job. He's a religious fanatic. You're dead in trespasses and sins. I'm not going to let your opinion. And on top of that, they have an antichrist spirit and an antichrist agenda. So can you imagine allowing people that have an antichrist spirit, an antichrist agenda govern how you act in the kingdom of God because of their opinion? They're dead. Their opinions hold no weight in the kingdom of God. None. Now, do we want to see them saved? Yes. So to see them saved, we have to give them the gospel and win them to Jesus. But we won't do that if we're timid and embarrassed to preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. So boldness is necessary. How do you get boldness? By the Holy Ghost. By the Holy Ghost. And that's why um, uh, Karen asked moments ago, does this include um, praying in the Holy Spirit? And yes, it does include praying in the Holy Spirit. Because being baptized in the Holy Ghost gives you a boldness that was not there before. Absolutely. Absolutely. Praying in the Holy Ghost, it stirs up your most holy faith, prepares it for action. Praying in the Holy Spirit does not give you more faith. It stirs up the faith that you already have. Jude 20, but you beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And then you look and understand in 1 Corinthians 14, that somebody who prays in tongues edifies himself or encourages himself in the Lord. So one of the things when you pray in tongues, it gives you a boldness and an encouragement that was not there before. 
I remember if you've ever heard me tell the story of when I was in high school and my friend got in a very bad car accident, went to the hospital. He was in the ICU. He had a a piece of wood hit his temple when he was in the passenger seat of the car. They crashed into a barn and a two by four came through the window and hit his temple, knocked him into a coma. And it was very bad. And I went to the hospital as a teenager and he was very popular in school. So there was a lot of other young people there. And I went to the other side of the waiting room and I just started praying in the Holy ghost, praying in tongues on the other side of the waiting room. And as I was doing that, I felt more and more boldness jumping up in my spirit. I mean, like it went from, you know, zero to a hundred in just a matter of minutes. And it was not just a boldness that jumped up in me. It was a righteous anger that the devil was trying to kill my friend, steal my friend. And I'm, as I'm praying in the Holy ghost and that boldness is rising up, rising up, rising up in me. And I'm telling you, I, I could feel it. I couldn't stay in the lobby anymore. I couldn't stay in the waiting room anymore. And I went straight for the, uh, the door toward the ICU which you're not supposed to be able to go back there. It's family members and, and first, like, you know, it's actually immediate family only. And I pushed through those doors and the nurse came running after me and said, you can't go back there. And I turned around and looked at her and she must have seen the fire in my eyes. She said, just go, just go ahead and go. And I went into his room and there he is lying on a, on a hospital bed with the heart monitor going, his mom crying in the corner. And I came in and knelt down. I said, I don't know if you can hear me or not. I said, but I'm gonna tell you, I came to get you out of this coma. And I laid hands on him. They said they didn't know if he'd ever come out of that. And they said, even if he did, he'd have memory loss, motor skill damage, all these different things. And I laid my hands on him and I commanded him to come out of that coma with no effects from the injury in Jesus name. And I felt when I prayed for him, man, I felt that release in my spirit that it is done. I looked over in the corner at his mom. I said, stop crying. It is done in Jesus name. And I went home the next morning. They called me all excited. You'll, you'll never believe this, which is a stupid thing to say to a believer. That's what I do. I believe things. <laughs> you'll never believe this. I said, what? He's out of the coma completely. He's fine. No memory loss, no motor skill damage. Doctors are saying they've never seen somebody recover this perfectly from a severe brain trauma. And I started giving God praise at my house that if I had not had that boldness, if I had not prayed in the Holy ghost and that, that boldness rise up on the inside of me, I'd have never taken action to see my friend healed by the power of God. I've never taken action. So boldness is necessary to do what you've never done, to say what you've never said. And so we have to have it. Pray in the Holy ghost, pray in the Holy ghost, pray in the Holy ghost, build yourself up on the, on your most holy faith to win people to Jesus, to see souls saved. So vital, so important. So you got to have an urgency. You've got to have compassion. You've got to have prayer to cultivate the other two. You got to have boldness, which comes from being in the Holy ghost in the presence of God. You've got to have boldness. Let me say another thing. This is number five. Uh, number five, you have to have, you have to have a response ready. You say, really? I got to have a response ready. Yes. Scripturally, scripturally, you've got to have a response ready. I saw somebody say in the comments, um, a moment ago that, um, every time I witness, they throw questions at me and I freeze. Anytime I witness, they throw questions at me and I freeze. 
And that happens to people. And so what's, what should we be doing? We should have a response ready. That's a scriptural command, if you didn't know. That is a scriptural apostolic command. And let me read it to you. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. This is the apologist's home-based scripture. Are you ready? But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. That Greek word there, apologia, that is where we get apologetics. People, you know, people don't understand what apologetics is. And so uh, pre, I've heard preachers, you know, they'll hear that word, you know, the, the study of apologetics. Well, you can study it all you want, but I'm not apologizing for the gospel. It's not apologizing. It's making a defense the way a good attorney would. You have a reason you can make your argument as to why you believe what you believe. That's that Greek word apologia. It just means to make a defense. That's what we're commanded to do by the apostle Peter. Make a defense to anyone who asks you, well, what's it going to take to have a defense ready? It's going to have to have an understanding of the word of God, which means that you are someone who is ingesting the word of God, studying the word of God, understands the word of God. There's only so many questions that you come across. So you know what would be good to do? Just go ahead and have pre-prepared responses, predetermined responses. And you know, you're going to get the same questions all the time, all the time. Well, if there really is a God, how many come, how come there's so many starving children in the world? You know, you get those same questions come up all the time. Well, if there really is a God, how come there's so much death and war and and killing and and sadness? Same questions all the time. So you know what? Just have predetermined responses to the same questions that come all the time. Instead of just letting them hit you all the time, like, oh, I don't know, but you know, I know Jesus is a good, it's like, know what you believe, know what you believe, know why you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, know why you believe he's the only way to heaven, know these things. You have to have a predetermined response, which means that's a plan of action. It's a plan of action. If I give somebody this opportunity to receive Jesus and they have questions, I should have answers. Any responsible a Christian who's winning souls needs to have answers, answers to questions that will help you. In fact, that's an idea that I just need, I need to just write it down because I know people don't have those answers. So I need to probably at some point write a book where it's just a, a list of predetermined answers, uh, for evangelism questions when you're winning the lost and then just produce it and put it into everybody's hands. So I'll make myself a note right now to do it. And I did. So at some point we'll do that. But until then, study to show yourself approved and make sure you have pre, you know, it, it, it's, you could probably Google it and find all the, the most commonly asked questions to people who want to convert to Christianity. And you can find them right there probably with the answers, with the answers. And so, it's vital to have a predetermined response when people were commanded to do that. Be able to make a defense for what you believe, right? Number six, let me give you this, it'll help you. 
know what the gospel is. <laughs> what is the thing that causes people to come to Jesus? The gospel. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. The only thing, the only thing that will draw men to Jesus is the gospel. That is it. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God. So number six, know what the gospel is. Everything preached from the word of God is not the gospel. He's preaching the gospel. No, that's not everything preached from the Bible is the gospel. Not every message your pastor preaches is the gospel. Not every sermon series at your church is the gospel. Doesn't mean it's wrong. Because the gospel is only one of many messages in the scripture. One of many. But the gospel is a specific message. What is the gospel? The, the gospel is Jesus came in a flesh body. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He took our sins upon him and was crucified, took the penalty of our sin upon his own body, and he, he nailed it to the cross, the Bible says. Canceled the debt or the penalty of our sin, Colossians 2.15, by nailing it to the cross. He died. He was buried. He descended in the lower, to the lower parts of the earth, led captivity captive, and made a show of them openly. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. And then, 40 days later, he ascended into heaven, was seated at the right hand of the Father, and then 10 days after that, he sent the Holy Ghost to the church. That is the gospel message. That's the gospel message. Number five, Lucy, was that you need to have boldness. Number six, you need to know what the gospel is. That's the gospel. Jesus, who is the word since the beginning of time, he is as much God as the Father, the Holy Ghost. He was made flesh, came in the form of a man, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, took our sins upon himself, canceled the penalty for sin on the cross, was buried, descended into the lower parts of the earth, led captivity captive. He was raised on the third day, ascended into heaven, sent the Holy Ghost. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Know what the gospel is. Know what the gospel is. Thank you, Veronica, for helping us in the comments. Urgency, compassion, prayer, boldness, having a response, knowing the gospel. Knowing, know the gospel. Know the gospel. Let me just copy and paste Veronica's list so everybody's on the same page thus far because she's, she's putting it all together. There it is. I just typed it in for everybody. Number one, urgency. Number two, compassion. Number three, prayer. Number four, boldness. Number five, have a response. Number six, know the gospel. Know the gospel. You have to know what the gospel message is in order to share it with somebody else. Share it with somebody else because it's only the gospel that's going to bring someone to Jesus. That's it. That is it. And so we have to be able to clearly, now let me say this this way, coming in close again, boom, clearly articulate what the gospel is. I should be able to clearly articulate what the gospel is. Somebody, I mean, could you explain it to a child and they understand it? Could you explain it to a child and they understand it? What is the gospel message? What is the gospel message? 
People need to understand they are dead in trespasses and sins. They are on their way to hell. There's nothing they have to do to go to hell except exist. (laughs) People don't get that. You don't go to hell because you do bad things. You go to hell because you exist. Everyone is born in sin. Did you know that if you never committed a sin in your life, think about this. Because you weren't born of a virgin like Jesus. If you never, which you would anyway, there's no way to not do it because you're a slave to sin. But if you never committed one sin throughout your entire life, you would still go to hell. People don't get that. People don't get that. If you were born naturally, unlike Jesus, and never committed one sin in your entire life, you lived a sinless life, if that were possible for a sinner, you would still go to hell. Because it's not about you committing a sin. It's about the fact that you are already dead in trespasses and sins. The Bible says that all are born in sin and shapen in iniquity. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person that's born is born into sin. Every person. So you don't have to do anything to go to hell. You'll go to hell because you exist. Unless you receive Christ's sacrifice by grace through faith. That is the only way you don't go to hell. That's right. AJ said, that's a question I get a lot. Why do I even need to be saved? It's the result. I believe, or your truth, my truth, yeah, relative, uh, relativism, deception, uh, postmodernism. That's what you're dealing with. The reason, and I love this because I don't know if it was Spurgeon or I'm trying to remember who said, who said this quote. I always forget who said it, but the quote is before you can get them saved, you've got to get them lost. Before you can get someone saved, you've got to get them lost. What does that mean? It means that until people recognize that they have a need for a savior. See, that's what the Holy Ghost does when he he convicts sin and draws people to Jesus. He lets them know, Charles Finney, lets them know that they need a savior. And the conviction comes from the Holy Ghost. But before you can get them saved, you got to know. You are lost. You are on your way to hell. Without Christ, you won't make heaven. Period. That's right. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Michael asks, what about babies that pass? There is an age of accountability that babies do not go to hell immediately. We know that from scripture because David's baby died when he was fasting and praying for his baby to be uh, saved from the the illness that was on the baby. And when, when the baby died, the Bible says, David cleaned himself up and he said, I know that I will go to him and see him again. So David, not planning on going to hell, but planning on being with God said of his own child, inspired by the spirit, I know that I will go to him and see him again. So there is an age of accountability. Children, uh, babies, you know, are, are not being sent to hell, but I'm talking about people that have lived their life. They're beyond the age of accountability, living through their life. You don't have to do anything to go to hell. You go to hell by default. You have to do something to get into heaven. And that is receive Christ's sacrifice by grace through faith. Amen. Amen. And so you've got to have, you've got to have an understanding of what the gospel message is. Let me give you this. What is this? Number seven. Am I finishing up with number seven? Number seven. I'll finish here today. Number seven have your own testimony ready to go. Amen. I'm going to talk about this one for a minute. 
one of the easiest ways to transition into talking to people about Jesus is by telling the story of what Jesus has done for you. One of the easiest ways is to give your own salvation testimony, your own deliverance testimony, talking to people about what Jesus did for you. First of all, it's a much easier transition than just walking up to somebody. Did you know that you don't have to do anything to go to hell? You're actually on on the way to hell right now. Like there's an easier way to, and, and by the way, there is a difference between cold evangelism and hot evangelism. Cold evangelism is like when you're going up to somebody that you don't even know who they are on the street. It's just like cold calling someone for in a sales job. I'm cold calling people hoping they'll buy my product. The same is true with cold evangelism. I'm just walking up to somebody that I don't know, and I'm just going to give them the gospel on the street or at the mall or wherever. Now that's effective. You can, you can get a lot done, a lot done with cold evangelism, but uh, you can use hot evangelism. What is that? That's like in a sales uh, content context. If you have a lead, you know, you know, somebody's already been looking at the product or somebody recommended you, or they called you and said, so-and-so recommended your product. Can you tell me more about it? That's a hot lead. You have a hot lead. And, and when you have a hot, when I'm speaking of hot evangelism, I'm talking about people that you may already have relationship with people that you see on a daily basis, you know, people that are, are your coworkers, people that are your extended family, people that are your loved ones and your friends, and you already have connection with them. It's not just you walking up to someone randomly on the street and be like, Hey, do you know about Jesus? You're on your way to hell. It's people that you talk to regularly that, you know, they need Jesus. And so you have your testimony ready. Talk to them, talk to them. You know what? I got, I got to tell you what God did for me. I mean, you'll know, I mean, you know what I was like before and people, you, you'll see it. You see it when, when, when people start telling their story, you can't refute someone's own story and testimony. You can't refute their own testimony. You say, this is what happened to me. No, it didn't. Yes, it did. I'm the person it happened to. I'm telling you it happened. And then it becomes a transition. You know, I'm telling you my life was, I, I was, on, I was, I was a mess. I was on my way to hell. My family was falling apart. I was falling apart. I was addicted to prescription medications. I couldn't get out of it. But I'm going to tell you, I went to church. God changed me. I accepted Jesus. He's my savior. I'm not on prescription meds anymore. My marriage is back together. My children are serving God. What what about you? I mean, have you made a choice? I mean, if Jesus came back today as they preach, I mean, would you even be ready? Would you go to heaven if you died? You know, like, and then you, you lead into the gospel. You know, you don't have to go to hell. You don't have, you can go to heaven. You know, Jesus didn't just die for me. He died for you. He died for you. He loves you. He loves you. He has a plan for your life. You know, you don't, you don't have to die and, and, and not know whether or not you're ready to go to heaven. You know, it's a real place. You know, and I know God changed my life. I know he'd do the same for you. You know, you, you start using your story to transition to their life and you start talking to them. And what I can tell you is this many times, and I'll tack this on here at the end. Many times, many times, there are people that God's opening them up to evangelism from you, but we've been so caught up with everything that's going on in our own lives that we miss the moment because we're so glazed over. We're so, I got to get to the next place. I got to be led by your spirit. Understand when somebody comes up to you and they start talking to you and you're, you're the person at the salon is start sharing far more with you than they say, I don't know, even know why I'm telling you all this. Let a bell go off. 
The reason they're telling you all of this is because they feel the anointing on the inside of your life and something, the peace that's in you, the joy that's in you is drawing them to you to, to open their life up to you. I don't even know. I mean, put a hand up in the comments if you've had this happen even within the last year or somebody that you're sitting with at the salon or at the mall, whatever, whatever, wherever you meet them. And they're like, start talking to you. And they're like, you know, I don't even, I don't even know. I don't usually tell people this much about me. I don't even know why I'm telling you all this, but you know, you're just very easy to talk to. And you know, all that that's let ding, 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 ding. Let it go off. The Holy spirit is opening a door for you. Look at all the hands going up. The Holy Spirit is opening up a door for you to talk to them about Jesus, to win them to Jesus. It's an open door. It's an open door. God will lead people to you. God will connect you with people. Amen. God will connect you with people. And which means that as we're sharing our story, as we're dealing with people, we have to have our eyes open all the time. In fact, let me just add it as its own separate and final point. Number eight, number eight. And that is this, always be aware. Always be aware of what's going on around you. Stop being so locked into your plan and your schedule. And I got to get to the grocery store and I got to go. All, number eight, always be aware. Always be aware. God is opening doors for you. As Paul called them, doors of opportunity. God's opening those up. God is opening those up. Hallelujah. And so I'm telling you, you've got to be that Christian who's always aware of what's happening. It could be your waitress at the, at the restaurant. It could be somebody that's, you know, filling your car with gas. It could be somebody at the mall. It could be somebody at the salon, whatever. Barbershop talk. It could be whatever it is. Be aware because there's people, they'll start talking to you. You'll, you'll see these little entrances and then you'll become like, uh, You'll become like that, that aficionado who knows I can see, I can see just the smallest, you know, that that's what made running backs. That's what makes running backs great in the NFL is they can see the smallest opening and then they're, they're through it. They can catch the smallest mistake. They can even see that somebody's out of position. That's, that's a defender and they can actually uh, capitalize on the fact that they're out of position. They see the smallest hole and they run for it. And that's the key as a, as a soul winner, as a believer. I'm looking for the smallest entrance into your heart. I'm looking for the smallest opening that you opened up your life to me. You opened up your story to me and I'm going to, I'm using that. I'm coming right in. You say, you know, in the same way you've been dealing that with that, with your son, you know, I, I used to deal with stuff like that too, but I'm going to tell you that the, you know, the Lord will help you. God will help you with that. Jesus, you, listen, I want to invite you, come to church with me this week. I'll pick you up, you know, and then on the spot, give them the gospel on the spot. Ask them if they're ready to pray now. Don't wait for Sunday. Don't wait for your pastor to do it. So, I, you know, I'd love to pray with you now. I mean, I've got time. Can I take a minute to pray with you? Are you? Do you even know that you would go to heaven if you died today? Do you know that? Are you sure about that? You know, do you know that you, that, that you would serve? Or, and then a lot of times you'll see them, they'll break down crying. I used to go to church. I, I haven't been to church in years. You know, my, my husband and I walked away. We got offended. Or it might be somebody that's never been saved in their life. No, but you know what? My life's a mess. I need, I need help. God works with you. You remember this, you're not doing this by yourself. The Holy Spirit works with you. That's what's taking place. Just trust the Lord that as you step out by faith and say, you know what, I'm gonna, t I'm gonna share Christ with this person. I'm gonna tell this person about Jesus. The Holy Spirit's gonna work with you. The Holy Spirit's gonna help you. He's gonna soften their heart. He's drawing them to Jesus. He's the one doing it. No man can be saved unless the Spirit of God draws him. 
And as you're doing your part, God's doing his part and drawing people to Christ. Don't miss your moments. That's why I read you Ephesians 5. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Christ is coming. Christ is coming. Let me pray for you, Father. I pray for every person watching me today that you would give them a supernatural compassion and a supernatural boldness. Give them the words to speak. Bring it to their remembrance. Use them for your glory supernaturally. Open doors for them. I pray that you would give them an awareness of what's going on. Let them see even the smallest opportunities for people to be saved. I pray that our soul winning lives would go to the next level before this year comes to an end. Let us fill whole rows at our churches with people that we've been winning to Jesus. We thank you, Lord. As time is coming to an end, let us be the most effective, dynamic soul winners there are in Jesus' mighty name. I pray it. Use us for your glory. Let us be vessels of gold and silver that you can use for anything, any opportunity in Jesus' name. And Father, as we do your work, as we do your will, continue to bless us. Continue to open up doors and give us more opportunities. We'll be faithful over a little. Make us ruler over much in Jesus' name. And add to your kingdom this year, Lord. Add to your kingdom this year, supernaturally. And let the house of God be expanded and increased. We thank you for that. We give you all the praise and all the glory for what you're doing in Jesus' mighty name. If you believe it, somebody shout amen. Throw some fire up in the comments. If you believe it today, your soul winning is going to another level in Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Yes, Aaron. Yes, Jackie. Praise God. You know how to sow a seed. If you'd like to sow a seed today, if you'd like to partner with us today, I want to say thank you for those that are already standing with us on a monthly basis. But I want to encourage you, if you've not done so yet, to stand with Carolyn and me in partnership. Believe God as we're going after souls. You know, as I said at the beginning, I'm not just winning souls, I'm sowing into ministries that are winning souls. And let me tell you, there's nothing that's more wise than connecting your finances with soul winning ministries. Nothing more wise than that. Why? He that wins souls is wise. And it's God's number one desire. He's willing that none should perish. So I wanna encourage you today, on this Tuesday, so largely, do something that'll make the devil mad. Do something that'll make the devil pull his hair out. That'll not only send the gospel to the lives of others, but it'll take you to another level financially. And for everybody that is sowing in this month of uh, August, we're sending you Pastor Mark's book, The Bloodline of a Champion, The Power of the Blood of Jesus. No matter what you're sowing, we're gonna get this to you this month. If you'll go to miracleword.com forward slash offer, you can fill out the form, let us know exactly where to send this book as you're sowing in the month of August. And I want to say thank you for standing with us. It means a lot to me and Carolyn to have you connected as the Victory Tribe. And let me also say, by the way, that if you didn't know that we have the Victory Tribe uh, homecoming weekend coming up, let me full size that so that you can see it. Um, the Victory Tribe homecoming weekend, October 28th and 29th. And we would love to see you there. It's going to be phenomenal. Allentown, Pennsylvania, Friday night's a miracle service. Uh, Saturday's a brunch where we're going to fellowship, hang out with you, talk to you, and share with you some of these next uh, steps that we're taking as a ministry that I can't even wait to share with you. Um, I'm, I'm extremely excited to share it, but I've been keeping it in, and I've been threatened by everybody on the staff. You have to keep it in. You must keep it a secret. And um, 
I, I, it's very hard for me to keep secrets. If you know me, you know this. My wife is like, you can't buy a present and keep it as a secret. You're like, you know, I know your birthday is three weeks from now, but just open it tonight. I mean, I'm, I get too excited. <laughs> I get too excited to give it. And so I want to see you there. Uh, if Jenna has not contacted you already, she will. You'll be able to RSVP. Uh, we want to know how many are coming so we can uh, host you the very best that we can. And uh, the food was amazing last year. We got to hang out. And I know it's going to be the same again this year. So I'm very excited about that. Don't forget, um, the brand new uh, t-shirts are out for the Miracle Word Kids in the store. Brand new Bible study and devotional is out in the store. All kinds of things to build your faith. Um, let me give you an update and an exciting announcement that our books are already being translated now into other languages. And this was one of my prayer points, that God would open the doors uh, for our books to be translated into other languages to go around the world. And uh, we've already had now our fasting book has been translated in Dutch, and now German has been completed, and uh, we're getting ready to have our books translated into Chinese. And then after they are, 10,000 copies will be distributed in China, and then Spanish is the next step. We're gonna have our books translated into Spanish. I'd like to get to Portuguese as well. I mean, we're, we're gonna keep going around the world with the gospel. And so I just want to give you an update. It's happening. Just as we've been praying for, God's doing it. And so I'm extremely excited about that. And uh, I knew we needed to get our content available in Spanish uh, ASAP. There's a whole group of people that watch and they're like, you know, uh, my first language is not Spanish, but my parents are, and we'd like to get them your content. I have that said to me all the time. And so we're working hard. We want to get everything available in Spanish as quickly as possible. So looking forward to that. I love you guys. I'll be back again with you in the morning and then tonight and all week at seven o'clock Eastern. That's New York City time if you're in another country. Join us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter. We're live. If you can get here, get here. I love you so much. Have a wonderful day. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.